Welcome to season five of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, refreshing and captivating interviews with sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. From Mike Greenberg to Ryan Dempster, Dan McNeil to Sarah Kustak, they reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories some you've never heard before. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow or subscribe to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly sponsored by Vienna Beef, home of the Chicago hot dog and an institution since 1893. Find them at ViennaBeef.com. And by Dynamic Manufacturing, awarded the General Motors Supplier of the Year 23 times. They can be found at DynamicManufacturingInc.com. This week we feature the veteran play-by-play man and one-time voice of the Chicago White Sox, John Rooney. I was a, a weekend TV weatherman and sportscaster, Channel 12 and Joplin, 76, KODE TV. I wanted to do sports, but in order to do sports and fill that role for a summertime uh, fill-in, I had to do the weather. Well, I had to build the weather map back then. Now it's all computer generated, but I had cold fronts upside down on the map and <laughs> all this stuff. And uh, pilots called me and said, you might want to turn that the other way for the 10 o'clock. How's this for a baseball stat? John Rooney is the only local announcer to call back-to-back World Series for different teams in different leagues, no less. It was the White Sox in 2005, the St. Louis Cardinals the following season. It's just one of many achievements for Rooney, who's been at this for over 50 years. His baseball broadcast career began in the 80s, but he's best known for the 18 years he spent on the south side of Chicago and now in his 17th with the Cardinals. He's called the Final Four, college football. Oh, do you remember the years he was the radio voice of the Bulls? So, John Rooney, tell me a story I don't know. Well, George, you and I might not know each other if Dickie Beal had been called for traveling in the Midwest (laughs) Regional in Lexington, Kentucky in 1984 with 16 seconds left in the game. It was Illinois and Kentucky. And Jim Host, who originated the NCAA radio network, also owned the Kentucky rights. David Ledford was his broadcaster. And Jim had a rule that if you're on the national broadcast, then your team cannot be involved. So if your team is still in the tournament, you can't do national radio. And they had called me like months before, and I thought they were pulling my leg. Would you be interested in doing the final four? Well, of course I would. I was doing Missouri basketball at the time, and and I had been doing some minor league baseball. But I did the Illinois-Kentucky game, and I was scheduled to do the regional final in St. Louis the next day. It was Houston and Wake Forest. And if Kentucky made the final four, I had one game in the final four I was going to do, and Dick Stockton did the other two. Well, sure enough, right in front of me, it looked like Dickie Beal walked. With 23 seconds to go, and Beal in heavy traffic gets it across the center line, almost traveled. He is fouled by Douglas. Did he come close to walking or did he? I thought he was very close to walking. Watch him cross the half-court line right here. He dragged that extra step. It looks like he may have done it. And if they had called that, chances are Illinois would have won the game, and I would not have done the Final Four. I wouldn't have met Dick Brescia who ran CBS radio. I wouldn't have been hired at CBS radio doing game of the week in baseball and doing NFL and doing a number of things, George. And lo and behold, uh, I got to do the final four and work with Kurt Gowdy. That was the first of 19 in a row. And then I went on to uh, everything I've done in my career. 
But if he had been called for traveling, who knows what direction my career would have taken. This is what life is all about. You never know when something occurs and it just turns out to be positive. Can you believe it seems like yesterday when you began your career at a station outside Kansas City, you were a kid, 16, and high school. Actually, yesterday was well over 50 years ago, and here you are still going strong. Well, my cousin, Dennis Rooney, wanted to be a top 40 DJ at WHB in Kansas City or KXOK in St. Louis. They were sister stations, and they were the top-rated uh, top 40 stations in the markets, and he wanted to do that, and I was three or four years younger, and I said, uh, you can do that? He said, well, yeah, I'm going to. And he ended up being a very good newsman in Kansas City. He wasn't a top 40 disc jockey, but he ended up being a very good uh, newsman up until the day he died a few years back. But I said, well, then I'm going to be a baseball broadcaster. And I, I was still in grade school. And uh, lo and behold, I got to do that. Uh, I, I set my sights on that. And I wore my friends out broadcasting games in the backyard. And, and I was a catcher in amateur ball for the Optimist League which is kind of like Babe Ruth baseball, and then uh, played Legion ball and Ban Johnson. I used to wear the hitters out. I'd, I'd chat them up pretty good. and uh, They got tired of it, and I'm, I'm surprised somebody didn't drop a bat on my, my face mask. <laughs> but uh, that's kind of how it got started. But I, I walked into Ray Beckwith's office in Lexington uh, one day. It was the 21st of August in 1971. And uh, he happened to be in the station. And I said, uh, Mr. Beckwith, I'm going to do sports for you. And he laughed and, and he said, okay, there's a, a wire, uh, an AP wire in the other room. There's a studio, make a five minute sports cast. If it's any good, I'll play it today. And I took about three hours to make a five minute sports cast and he aired it. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to be a broadcaster ever since then. What a great story. You're a Missouri native, so how wonderful was it for you to become the voice of the Cardinals the year after ending your run with the White Sox? Well, George, I, I grew up listening to the Cardinals with my dad. We might be in the backseat of the car because the Philco radio didn't pull KMOX in very well. We lived hmm. about a half hour outside of Kansas City, and there were times we could get KFEQ in St. Joseph. But up until uh, the uh, signal changed, it was tough to bring KMOX in, so we were sitting in the backseat of the car listening to the Cardinals playing the Pirates and the Reds and listening to Harry Carey and Jack Buck. His dad is here from what is the North Granite? Granite Quarry. Granite Quarry, North Carolina. That's one of my favorite towns. Somebody's stealing your thunder with a net over there, Hank. Eh? <laughs> Hope he has better luck. Here's the pitch on the way. Line foul off to the right. I continued to listen when uh, Mike Shannon joined in the early 70s and Joined Jack Buck and Bob Starr was one of the finest football announcers I ever heard. And I felt fortunate to be able to work some basketball with Bob Starr and to get to know him. And uh, that's, that's where uh, I really fell in love with the game. But see, I like the old Kansas City A's because my dad liked the Cardinals. I couldn't like the team he liked. And we'd have <laughs> arguments at the table. The A's were last place in the American League and the Cardinals in 64 won it all. Oh yeah. And that's when the Cardinals won me over and and how fortunate, though, to be able to do the games, that's, that's correct. But to know Bob Gibson and Lou Brock and Mike Shannon and Tim McCarver, uh, know those people. Bill White. I worked with Bill White at CBS Radio. 
Yes. And Bob Euchre. Euchre was on that team, even though there are times he jokes he doesn't even recall being in St. Louis. But <laughs> I, got to, I got to know all those people. Those are people that I listened to on the radio, and uh, they were bigger than life. And, and in many respects, George, they're still bigger than life. Wasn't your first major league game that you called was with the Cardinals in 1983, and you actually did it with Jack Buck and Mike Shannon? Right. I had done the game the night before in Louisville where the Redbirds became the first minor league team to break 1 million in attendance. I worked in Louisville in uh, 83 and 84. And uh, my broadcast partner now, Ricky Horton, was a pitcher on that team. And Ricky was also the opening day starter for the White Sox, my first game with the White Sox. Now we're working together. But I did uh, that, that game where they, they broke uh, the million mark. And A. Ray Smith, interesting story before I talk about that first game in Cincinnati I did the next night. Uh, A. Ray had the one millionth fan on the field. And the one millionth fan's name was Giovanni Setecioli. Wow, good memory. <laughs> and well, he's out there, he's wearing, he's wearing like Bermuda shorts and he has uh, his sandals on with socks uh, up past the calves of his uh, legs and uh, a, a t-shirt and he's jumping up and down saying, I'm going to take my mom to the old country and do this and do that. But he looked mighty familiar to me. Hmm. Now, I, I, I live downtown in uh, the Kentucky Hotel. I had an apartment there for the, the season. And uh, the, uh, there was a barbershop on the first floor. And I walked by the barbershop and I looked at the barber and I go, Giovanni Setecioli. It was A. Ray Smith's barber who was a one millionth fan. A. Ray was a showman. Oh, brother. <laughs> so I really don't know who the actual one man fan was, but it was it was a pretty good show. The whoa, next whoa, night whoa, I worked whoa. my first game. Uh, Dan Kelly was doing baseball with Jack Buck and Mike Shannon. It had to be in Canada doing some prep work uh, for the season of hockey night in Canada that Dan was doing in addition to doing the blues. So I did my first game with uh, Jack and Mike in Cincinnati. And my play-by-play sounded like I was doing a fast break in the final four because I was scared to death. <laughs> and Jack Buck said, slow down, kid. You're going to wear them out before the end of the first month. By the way, what was that guy's name at the barbershop? Giovanni Setecioli. And I don't know his real name, but it was A-Ray's barber. <laughs> so all I know is if Harry Carey was around, he would say, say, spell that name backwards. <laughs> That's <laughs> it. Vienna beef, two words synonymous with hot dogs. They're the home of the Chicago hot dog and an institution since 1893. If you've had a hot dog, chances are it was from Vienna. And did you know there are more locations selling Vienna in Chicago than McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's combined? There's nothing like biting into a juicy and delicious pure beef Vienna hot dog dragged through the garden, which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and some celery salt. And oh, those Polish sausages dripping with flavor. And look for the spicy smoked sausage available in your local retail stores. It includes a perfect blend of seasonings such as crushed red peppers and brown sugar, creating a bold and zesty taste. Vienna products are available in restaurants, grocery stores, and entertainment venues such as the ballparks, cups, 
and socks, stadiums, museums, and zoos. Plus, you can purchase them online, coast-to-coast at ViennaBeef.com and on Amazon. And remember, Vienna is not just hot dogs and sausages. Look for their farm makers' chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Check them out at ViennaBeef.com. Obviously, when people hear, they they think of you and your run as the voice of the White Sox. It lasted 18 years, culminated on the highest possible note, World Series championship. Tell me a story I don't know. What that season was like for you? Well, it was a tough season because uh, we're trying to, you know, get together on a contract extension that never quite worked out. And uh, it uh, I, I don't blame anybody for that one way or the other. It just uh, didn't work out. And by September 1, it was apparent that that was going to be my last season in Chicago. And, and the reporters kept coming in wanting to know, you know, well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And, and they were all very good to me in Chicago. And I said, let's, let's just focus on the players. Something special might happen here in Chicago. We'll talk about it when this is all over, but let's focus on these guys because what they're doing is a lot of fun to watch. And George, I'm so glad I took that approach because I was able to enjoy it. Had I not taken that approach, um, I, I, I probably would have felt like a, a bitter old person by now, but uh, I couldn't do that. I remember I did a lot of traveling and I wound up in Houston. So, so there you are, you're calling the final out of the White Sox first World Series victory in I believe 88 years. Everyone knew it was gonna happen. What were the Sox up three games to none? Did you ever consider what you would say when they won? Well, I'm going to get a White Sox winner in there somewhere. (laughs) Here's the 1-2 pitch to Palmero. A ground ball past Jinx up the middle of the infield. Uribe has it. He throws. Out! Out! A White Sox winner and a world championship! The White Sox have won the World Series, and they're mobbing each other on the field! The celebration is on the mound right now at Minute Maid Park in Houston. On Wednesday, October 26, 2005, the White Sox have won their first world championship since 1917. I mean, I got caught up so by, uh, by the moment. You know, they're mobbing each other on the field. What, what does that mean? But uh, I, I, there, were, there was a, a mob scene here, a mob scene there. I mean, it was, it was chaos out on the field when they won. And when I made the call... And uh, I can't quite remember. It was a, a play by Uribe that finished it up. But uh, I, I just sat down. I was standing. I jumped up when, when it happened. But I sat down, and it was like, wow, a relief. It's over. <laughs> That's it. That's the last call I'm going to make for the White Sox after being there 18 years. And it kind of set in. But um, I just uh, got up. We finished our work in the booth. I ran down on the field. Uh, Mark Burley uh, poured some champagne on me and uh, gave me a big bear hug. I have a picture of that that I have at the house. And I got Mark to sign it. The only problem is it's a big poster I blew up and the signature is about, you know, half inch high. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, to this day, he's still one of my all-time favorite uh, players and people. But that's, uh, that's what it felt like. And I can imagine what it felt like for all those White Sox fans that waited that long to share that moment. And I got to share it with them. So that's pretty special. And, um, and it worked out so well. I, I really enjoyed the parade, my time there. Ken Harrelson had me come up, say a few words at the parade. We hope this would happen. They played from wire to wire. And your Chicago White Sox are world champions. 
celebrate Chicago as only you can. Thank you very much for all your support. Ned Farmer and I have enjoyed bringing the games to you. Enjoy this great day. I'd never seen so many people uh, jammed into the streets uh, like they were in Chicago. And oh, it was absolutely stunning. It was stunning in that no one really knew what to expect. And the crowd was much, much larger than anyone could imagine. And I'm standing on the back of the stage with Moose Gowron and with Mayor Daly. And, and, um, and when I left Chicago, I got a, a nice proclamation from Mayor Daly and uh, uh, a couple of books on the history of Chicago. And, mm. and I, uh, I proudly treasure those. Uh, and, and if you don't sit back, George, and take a look at, at the big moments. And, yeah, we all have our bad days. And, and uh, there are days that you want to forget. But uh, all those good times, uh, I look back on those right now. And uh, I, I get goosebumps when I think about it, being there to call that last out. As Pat Hughes and I are the only two local Chicago announcers to call the last out of a winning World Series. That's right. And that's, that's pretty special. And, and then to be able to uh, ride in the bus in the parade and to be around uh, the great athletes. Uh, you know, Joe Creedy is uh, from Missouri, still living in central Missouri. Uh, Mark Burley's in St. Charles. And um, Cliff Polite still does some things with the St. Louis Cardinals now uh, as he's from St. Louis and he pitched for the Cardinals for a while. Uh, to know those guys and to get to travel with them and be a part of that, uh, those are things that I will always hold very dear. You worked with several people here, but most notably the late Ed Farmer, who was much more than just a baseball guy. Runners at the corners for Piggio. Two down, the pitch. Swing, bouncy ball to third. Creedy dives. Got it, gets up, throws the first. Hang a star on that. Just put the World Series on his shoulders. Oh, he's character, complete character. And that's uh, something we, we probably are missing uh, today in many respects where you, you don't have uh, characters like uh, Jimmy Pearsall, who, who did the White Sox. And certainly Bob Euchre has been that character up in Milwaukee for all those years. The Uke, when he worked with Merle Harmon, tried to crack him up all the time by doing all kinds of things and some I can't even talk about. Uh, but he'd make his partner laugh and uh, enjoy those moments. But um we're, we're missing some of those characters. And, and uh, Ed uh, came up with a lot of things. I learned a lot of things from him, and I, I hope he learned a lot from me from the broadcast side because his preparation was far different from mine, and I carried that over to when I went to the Cardinals as Mike Shannon did most of his prep the same way Ed did by being on the field in the clubhouse, whatever, and, and talking to people and, um, and direct stories and one thing and another. And I do that as well, but not to that degree. Uh, I have a lineup card that takes me sometimes an hour and a half to two hours to do before a ball game where I have so much information on there. I probably don't use one tenth of it, but I like to have that there and know it's there. And then there are things in games that will bring up stories. And uh, Ed had a wealth of stories. And I know he carried that uh, right on until his final broadcast. In 2005, the two of you were named the third best duo behind the Dodgers and Giants. That's not too shabby. No, that wasn't bad at all. Uh, I read that, uh, picked up the USA Today. We were in Baltimore. I looked at that, and, uh, and I thought, wow, what a high honor. And, and we had fun, George. And, and that's the one thing I, I preached to Ed when he, he came into the booth. I, I said, if we don't have fun, the listener's not going to have fun. And we cannot be accused of, uh, of not having fun <laughs> because I carried that to St. Louis as well. If you're in the booth with Mike Shannon, you're going to have fun. You're going to laugh every day. And that's the way it was. We, we had a great time in Chicago too. 
Your stay here, by the way, included work with the Bulls when Michael Jordan was on the rise, and that, of course, culminated with the first of six titles. It seems like you and championships go hand in hand. Uh, I've been at the right place at the right time. <laughs> I got to do 30 games a year for three years because I don't guess GN and, and the Loop got, got along very well. So they split up the broadcast the rest of the year. Jim Durham was one of the finest people and finest basketball announcers anywhere, and uh, we were fortunate in Chicago to have him. Uh, he and Johnny Red did the TV, and I did radio. I worked with Junior Bridgman, and then I worked with uh, Tom Borwinkle, and two great guys. And I was very fortunate to do that. And my last year was their first championship. And for those who don't remember, you also did Northwestern basketball. What didn't you do? Um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I didn't do hockey. Uh, yeah. Mr. Highland at X one time asked me, uh, you know, could you fill in for Dan Kelly? I said, I really wish I could, but I just don't have the background in the sport. I love it. And there were many nights in the old arena or the checker dome or whatever they called it at the time in St. Louis. I sat behind Dan Kelly and Gus Kyle and uh, just watched them and, and listened to them work. And boy, was that a treat when uh, I was at KMOX. But uh, in my career, uh, I was a, a weekend TV weatherman and sportscaster, Channel 12 in Joplin, 76, KODE TV. I wanted to do sports, but in order to do sports and fill that role for a summertime uh, fill-in, I had to do the weather. Well, I had to build the weather map back then. Now it's all computer generated, but I had cold fronts upside down on the map and <laughs> all this stuff. And uh, pilots called me and said, you might want to turn that the other way for the 10 o'clock. Um, and uh, I had to do that to do the sports. So one night, well, it looks like it's going to be a great weekend, a very mild night. Sports is next. I go outside <laughs> afterward. It's pouring. <laughs> so messed that one up, didn't I? Uh, but I did that. I've done radio bingo in Pittsburgh, Kansas. When I, that's when I was working in Pittsburgh, Kansas, radio, doing Pittsburgh State football, basketball, a lot of high school sports. And we had the Cardinals on one station, the Royals on another. And, uh, and I uh, then had some time in the summer because I wasn't doing college sports uh, to go do the, the weekend uh, TV. And that, that was a great experience because uh, I had to shoot some film and, and uh, had to do uh, some editing. And uh, that was completely new to me and wasn't very good at it, but uh, it was a great experience. This is the very first time I have ever heard anyone do radio bingo. Radio bingo. Had the bingo card there. All right, the ball is coming down the chute. It is B10. <laughs> and someone would call, and I got a bingo. And I'd say on the air, well, how do we really know? <laughs> well, they have a verified card. I said, hey, whatever. I've got another 15 minutes of this, and then I'm going over to watch basketball practice. Hey, you, what you could have done is you could have established what you did in baseball. You just said, and that's a bingo winner. <laughs> who knows what i did with that uh, year after the white Sox won it all and of course another world series title you called one with the cardinals they won it again in 2011 which was tony larusa's last year of managing or so we thought now he's in his second season with the white Sox. he's 77 did you ever think and what do you think now well that game six in 2011 Tony was telling his players, you know, you might want to get ready to go on the field, wave to the fans. It's been a great year. It looked like Texas was going to win it. And then and then it was Freeze hitting the triple over Cruz in right field. Cruz had come in a few steps because he wanted to get in on the celebration early. 
Uh, we found that out not long ago. And Freeze hit the ball over his head, hit a triple, tying the game. Later on, he hit the home run that won the game. Freeze hits it in the air to center. We will see you tomorrow night. And, and Bud Selig could come in our booth like about the, the sixth or seventh inning saying, Mike, John, we need a game seven. Let's go. You know, he's just making small talk. And that game was one of the worst games I think I'd ever seen up until about the seventh inning, but the errors and, and mistakes. And then, boom, a game broke out. And it was one of the most incredible finishes ever. And Tony got to manage another game and uh, fell behind in game seven, but came back to win that one and win the World Series against Texas. And then uh, I, I should have known he was going to announce his retirement, at least from the Cardinals because he was having too much fun. He was enjoying everything down there in that dugout where Tony is usually so stoic and locked in and, and, uh, and not to say he wasn't locked in on what was going on, but he was just enjoying every moment of it. And I'm so glad he did and was able to chronicle all of that in a book and, uh, and some videos and, uh, and it was terrific. And I wish him nothing but the best with the White Sox because the man can manage a baseball game. Are you surprised? first of all, that he actually came out of retirement to do this and that he's still doing it. No, I'm not surprised at all because he can do it. And winning a division championship proves he could do it. Where those say, well, he can't get along with today's players or this or that. Tony can adjust and he has adjusted. And he has a good coaching staff. He has a good situation there. Rick Hahn's going out to get him some players and, uh, and Jerry wants to see him succeed. The relationship between Tony and Jerry Reinsdorf stayed solid for all those years after Tony was uh, let go when he landed in Oakland and later with the Cardinals. And uh, no, I, I wasn't surprised he came back because he can still do it and still compete at a high level like that. And, and that's what makes Tony LaRusso go. Want to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know? It's easy. Just follow me on social media, at George Hoffman. That's O-F-M-A-N. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please follow or subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. We return with John Rooney on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I think we mentioned before you did Major League Baseball for CBS and ESPN. And the list of people that you worked with, and you mentioned some of them, is a veritable who's who of the very elite. And you're right in that picture. Well, it's uh, like I'm uh, a fly on the wall. Uh, the press conference where they introduced the CBS radio announcers in 1985, bringing the game of the week back after 25 years. Featured Brent Musburger, Dick Stockton, Johnny Bench, Bill White. And they couldn't get Ernie Harwell in because Ernie was doing uh, Tiger games and uh, Kurt Gowdy wasn't available, but he was part of that. Jack Buck was part of that as he did postseason. And uh, Ted Robinson and I were the young guys 
uh, introduced to work alongside all of those great veteran announcers and many of them Hall of Famers. And um, and Bill White, uh, to be able to work with Bill and uh, spend some time with him. And Bill White, you're now up and the umpires and the rest of the action. All right, one Elliott, game six. Yankees lead the series three games to two and Mickey Rivers steps in. And the first pitch of the ball game, swung on and fouled straight down. He missed it, swung on and missed. Rivers going after the first pitch from Donnie Sutton and missed it. Uh, with Johnny Bench and get to know those people. What a blessing. And to work games with Kurt Gowdy. For his time, Kurt Gowdy was uh, the top of the top yep. uh, in the profession. And uh, he had his hunting and fishing show. He did baseball. He did football. He did a little bit of everything. And he was a great basketball player at Wyoming and a, a great basketball announcer and got to do my first Final Four game with him. But to work with those, those announcers and Jerry Coleman, is, is probably my favorite of the group. I worked with the Colonel who was a, a, uh, a pilot and a war hero and never talked very much about that. But Jerry's in the Baseball Hall of Fame and he, uh, I think he's as proud of, of being in the Marine Hall of Fame, uh, mm. maybe more so than being in the Baseball Hall of Fame. But what a great guy. I mean, Jerry had his Colemanisms. He slides into second with a stand-up double, you know. <laughs> Uh, Winfield goes back, goes back, hits his head on the wall and it's rolling toward the infield. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, things like that made Jerry, uh, a special broadcaster. And, uh, but he was a, a wonderful human being. Uh, <clears throat> we got in the car after doing a Sunday night game in Toronto and he's reading one of the papers. He said, this paper is the worst paper in the whole United States. And we're in Toronto. <laughs> you know, I, I, I miss Jerry so much, uh, but. Uh, again, another person that uh, I treasure those moments uh, working with them, working with Hank Stram in the NFL and uh, Matt Millen. John Dockery is one of the most uh, prepared people I ever worked with in a booth. And he was on that Jets Super Bowl winner with Joe Namath playing in the secondary for the Jets and uh, just a very sharp guy. And uh, Pat Hayden, I got to work with for a while. And, uh, you know, George, it, it feels like uh, I'm a kid in a candy store from a small mm. town outside of Kansas City. And I've been able to do World Series pre and post game with uh, Vince Gully, with Jack Buck, uh, work uh, NFL playoff games. Morton Anderson, the left-footed kicker, the soccer-style kicker, attempting a 38-yard field goal to put the Falcons in the Super Bowl. Straczynski to hole from the near side hash. Here's the placement, the kick, high, end over end. It's gone, and the Falcons are going to the Super Bowl! and uh, fill in for Jack Buck on Monday night football and, and take part in 19 Final Fours and 10 championship games. The UCLA fans are celebrating. A flip to Charles O'Bannon. He went for a dunk, lost the ball, taken in by Arkansas, and time runs out. UCLA wins the national championship 89-78, to defeating the Arkansas Razorbacks. And to do Major League Baseball and go to the ballpark and prepare for a game and, and watch a game. But it all comes down to the people. Being around the people. I asked Ben Scully after he retired. I said, what do you miss the most? He said, I love baseball, but I miss the people. Mm. And, and that's what it's all about. And I'm so fortunate that, and I feel fortunate that we can get back together now and uh, be at the ballpark and uh, exchange ideas and tell stories and, and then watch a pretty good game after that.
Speaking of baseball, of course, it just went through another labor strife and came out of it trying to change the game. So there's the idea of the pitch clock, bigger bases, banning the shift, and robot umpires. What do you think? I'm not going to dismiss all of it, George. Uh, maybe it's time for some change. I don't know. I, I think we need to see how it plays out. Uh, I, I don't want to sound like, well, you know, back in my day, this is the way we did it. And uh, so many things change in life. And uh, I think they call it a pitch clock. They should call it a hitter's clock because those guys get out of the batter's box and waste more time than the pitchers waste on the mound in, in many respects. But I think it's going to put both sides in check if they do implement that at the major league level. And it's probably coming uh, to me. The DH is going to make the games longer because it'll uh, keep the innings going longer than, of course. than most pitchers making outs. And, and to me, uh, I, I thought the umpire visit or the uh, mound visits that the umpires have to keep track of. That's another thing for them to uh, put in their accounting during a game. You don't need to measure mound, mound visits. Pace of play is pitchers attacking the strike zone, umpires calling the strike zone, and hitters staying in the batter's box. To me, that's pace of play. We, we've had some spring training games that had great flow up until they had so many changes in the sixth, seventh inning, but great flow because the pitchers were attacking the strike zone, umpires calling strikes, defense was good in the field, uh, everybody was ready for the ball hit to them, and it was fun to watch. Now let me tell you a story you don't know about John and me, and it was the first time we crossed paths, thanks to one of the most creative writers in radio I ever met and worked for, and really inspired me, Win Elliott. He hosted Sports Central USA on the CBS radio network, which ran every, I think, every hour during the weekend afternoons. I was one of the Chicago freelancers, stringers, as we call them. And one day, there you were doing some of his shows, and we have to be going back some 40 years. Well, that goes back to 1985. That's when I was hired at CBS. But I was doing six shows on Saturday and six on Sunday. But by the time I got the assignment, uh, for Sports Central USA, they had cut the show from 15 minutes down to three minutes, yeah. and one minute was a commercial. So it was uh, like sports phone of the air is, <laughs> is what it was like. And <clears throat> that's the way I felt, but it was an honor to do those, and I had great clearance all over the CBS radio network. And my studio was Captain Kangaroo's dressing room. So that was wow. uh, kind of interesting. They were telling me stories of how Mr. Green Jeans used to uh, come in wearing his silk shirt, and his platform shoes, and put on his green jeans. He had, I don't think he'd ever been near a farm. And telling stories of <laughs> Grandfather Clock and Bunny Rabbit and Dancing Bear. Uh, but I was right there in, uh, in the dressing room for them. Right before we began this interview, John goes, hi, Offie. Well, there are only two other people that call me Offie. They, of course, were also at the CBS radio network. Jim Hunter, who was uh, part of the Orioles broadcast for many years, and a longtime sportscaster at WCBS, Bill Schweitzer. I like the name. Well, Offie, we'll always call you Offie, but uh, you know, I worked a long time with Jimmy. Jimmy's dad uh, was in the TV booth with Bill White, Phil Rizzuto, and the Yankee TV on Channel 11. And Bill was able to introduce Jim to CBS, and he made a good run of it there and then went on to Baltimore. And Bill Schweitzer, a very clever writer in his mm. own right. I remember he was talking about the Kentucky Derby and how George Steinbrenner had half ownership in a horse. And he said, and you know which half he owns. <laughs> uh, uh, Bill, that's, that's great. 
and he worked with Ed Ingalls uh, over at uh, WCBS there in New York. And I, I did that Illinois game with Ed Ingalls in Kentucky, by the way, that basketball game where if Dickie Beal had been called for traveling, who knows uh, what would have happened? What would have happened to Ken Korak and Dave Wills? They wouldn't have filled in for me when I did CBS radio on the White Sox. Where would they be? Right. Who and knows? there's, there's Dave Wills right now with the, uh, and that actually I interviewed Dave Wills for this podcast and a wonderful guy from Chicago who's been at Tampa Bay now for a number of years. And uh, Ken Korak's a fixture out in the Bay yep. area doing the A's games, but they both filled in for me when I did um, CBS radio. Did you know General Motors 2021 Supplier of the Year is located in Hillside, Illinois? Dynamic Manufacturing not only remanufactures transmissions for the likes of GM, but also as a state-of-the-art facility. Its capabilities include engineering new or existing products, along with manufacturing, machining, logistics, and re-energizing used batteries for electric cars and energy storage systems. I've seen their operation firsthand, and their nearly 1 million square feet of operating space is extremely impressive. Dynamic was founded by the late, great John Partipillo in 1955 and is still family-owned and operated by the next generation. For more information about Dynamic Manufacturing, visit their website at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. Dynamic Manufacturing. Honor the legacy. Pioneer the future. You mentioned the uh, the final four, and you did 19 of those, which is great. Is there one that stands out? Well, George, it's the first one because uh, Chris Weber called a timeout he didn't have. How about that? And that happened right in front of me. Have to bring it oh, he walked. He walked, and the referee missed it. Weber brings it into the front court. They have no timeouts remaining. Oh, he causes he too many timeouts. That's a technical foul. He called a timeout. Michigan doesn't yes. have any. He got by with a walk, and Jimmy calls a technical. He, he calls a timeout. He doesn't realize that's Michigan's too many, and so it'll be a technical foul. North Carolina shooting and the ball. A huge mental mistake. And I was uh, working with Bill Raftery, and um, had had a, a great time working with Raft on those those championship games, and and I had some great people there, but Raftery was was my my favorite. We had a great group. And uh, I was just trying to think back over the years of all the folks I worked with there. But, and Ed Ingalls was a guy that I worked my first two CBS radio games with. We went to St. Louis the next day after the Kentucky Illinois game and uh, did that regional final. Consider all the things that you have done in your career. And here's a loaded question. If there's ever been a loaded question, what's been the most satisfying? Oh, hard to say. I, I love the baseball so much. I love playing it. I, I've enjoyed it so much, but I feel like I'm kind of a throwback to the old days with, with Jack Buck, Milo Hamilton, Jack Brickhouse, all those guys did everything at the radio or TV station or both. They might do a ball game and the next day they might be out doing a man in the street interview, or they might be hosting a talk show, or they might be out helping a client, uh, you know, make a decision on advertising, helping that salesperson. And I've been able to do a little bit of that uh, from the first day I got into broadcasting in August of 1971. I don't think many people do that anymore. They specialize so much. Uh, they want to be a news person, they're a news person. They want to be a talk show host, they're a talk show host. They want to be an announcer of uh, a certain sport, then that's what they work on. Uh, and there won't be any Bill Kings anymore, George, because 
Uh, Bill, Bill had championships with the Raiders, with the Warriors, and the A's. He was able to do all three. Uh, the way the seasons overlap right now, you can't do two, let alone three. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I got to do some Bulls games, and and I did a lot of college basketball. I uh, I really enjoyed doing the show with Bill Foster. So it's hard to say what's the most satisfying. I think the most satisfying thing is meeting all the great people I've met over the years. And one of the most satisfying days I ever had, uh, I was called by Learfield when I was still in Chicago to go down to Indianapolis to work an Indiana game against Seton Hall and the coaches against cancer game at the RCA Dome because uh, uh, Mr. Fisher had to do football uh, against Illinois for Indiana. So I filled in and I was told by the, the folks at Learfield, Coach Knight wants you outside the room, uh, the, pre- the uh, meeting room at about 7.30 to do his pregame show because it was a noon game. Mm. So I, w- I got there at a quarter of seven. And at seven o'clock, here comes Coach Knight. So I was there plenty early. We talked for about a half hour, talked about mutual acquaintances, Johnny Bench, Bob Costas, and many, many other people. And then uh, we did the interview. I still had that interview somewhere for the pregame show. I kept that. But he said, okay, well, got to go into the meeting. Uh, You might as well come on in and see what we're doing. I go, what? Mm. I did the Big Ten for eight, nine years, and you never let me go to practice or a shoot around. You never let me close to your program. The closest I got was sitting there in the third row at Assembly Hall doing the game the next day. <laughs> well, hell, you hadn't done nothing yet. <laughs> <laughs> so in 2021, you were named the Missouri Sportscaster of the Year. Very nice honor, John. But tell me a story I don't know about a story they told you you didn't know. Well, I got a call, George, from uh, Dave Gorin of the National Sports um, uh, caster, it used to be the Sportscasters and Sports Writers Association. Now it's the National Sports Media Association. And he said, uh, congratulations, you're the 2021 Missouri Sportscaster of the Year. I said, well, thank you. That is a very good honor and uh, very uh, overcome by that. And he said, well, I see it's your second award uh, that you were the Illinois Sportscaster of the Year in 2005. I said, I was. <laughs> I never knew that. I knew I was the Pitch and Hit Club Sportscaster of the Year. They gave me a nice bat that said Pitch and Hit Club Sportscaster of the Year on it. I have that hanging in my house. I have one of those as well. And it's uh, great to be honored by, by uh, Peter Caliendo and uh, and his group. And Roland Heeman was a big part of that and uh, and all. But I didn't know I was the 2005. And I'm, I'm very honored that I've won in both states. Uh, uh, my good friend Mitch Holdis is one in Kansas and Missouri for his work on uh, the Chiefs and and uh, certainly his work on Missouri Valley basketball and uh, so many other things. But uh, that that kind of t- I said, where's my plaque? And uh, <laughs> Dave, Dave said, well, I, I've only been here nine years. I have no idea. So at least I'm in I'm in I went into the record books. For so you never time. got you never got your plaque. No, but uh, it says I was sportscaster of the year in 2005. So I'll take their word for it. And uh, that's how that goes. You're also in the Missouri Hall of Fame. You've had one hell of a career, John Rooney. And Thank you so much for this honor. I thank my family. I thank my friends who have been here. One of the best nights off I've had from a baseball game in a long, long, long time. But uh, so I will we'll keep it brief. And I will say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so very much. It's been uh, a nice ride, and I'm, I'm still very fortunate to uh, be in that car still riding. Uh, the Missouri 
Broadcasters Association uh, put me in their Hall of Fame. Boy, I was overcome. Uh, I, I, I can't uh, have a dry eye um, making a, a speech at the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame or the Missouri Broadcasters Association because it all comes back to um, the, my love for the game of baseball is how it all got started and, and wanting to be a broadcaster and, and thinking of those days with my father when uh, we listened to games and we had our baseball arguments and talked about it, but that's where I started learning the game. And, and I thought about that uh, in the induction speeches at the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame and, and at uh, the Missouri Broadcasters Association last year. I uh, went into the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame in 2004 in a class with Tim McCarver and Dave Phillips and uh, Rick Sutcliffe was in that. Yeah. And I got to play baseball against Rick Sutcliffe when we were kids. So what's next and for how long? As long as I feel good and I can do it. And right now I feel good and I like the game preparation. I like the challenge of being able to tell uh, the people what is going on on the field and working with my analysts to tell them why something happened on the field and tell some stories. And, um, and that's, that's what I like to do. I get more comments off from people who say, I like it when you describe the uniforms. And I've done that for years and years and years because in college ball, uh, the, uh, the alumni are, are really big into the school colors. So I carried that into Major League Baseball. And when I used to do that on the White Sox, you know, the White Sox are in their home white uh, pinstripe uniforms with the black cap and the SOX. And, and then I'd uh, describe the visitors. And then Ed Farmer would describe what I was wearing and I'd describe what he was wearing. I mean, <laughs> So uh, in farmer, <laughs> it was, and Farmio started that. So we we carried that on for years, and uh, I, I just happened to think of that. I asked this final question to all my guests: If not for broadcasting, John, what would you have been? I would have been working in broadcasting. I don't know if I would have been on the air because I'm I'm fascinated by the business side of it, and uh, it's more challenging than ever before because of all the streaming and all the satellite. Uh, Broadcasting, uh, Sirius certainly has made uh, a difference in the way a lot of people uh, listen to the radio in their cars. And, and uh, a lot of people are, are using streaming services for their music at home. Uh, the CD collection, I have, I have a pretty good CD collection, but people hardly buy those anymore. More people are buying vinyl, kind of a throwback. Yes. Uh, the audio files like the vinyl, and I do too. But uh, it, it would probably be something in the business side because I, I find that fascinating. And, and I like the relationships you make when uh, you're selling advertising and, and helping those business uh, people, uh, people and, and their businesses make money. Well, let me tell you something, John, you have made watching and listening to sports that much more enjoyable. And I wish you only the best as you shoulder on. And thank you, John Rooney, for telling me a story I don't know. I think we had a lot of stories, but uh, my favorite was the radio bingo. <laughs> thank you, John. My thanks to CBS TV, the CBS Radio Network, Host Communications, KMOX Radio in St. Louis, WMVP Radio in Chicago, Fox Sports, the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame, and the Missouri Valley Conference for those fabulous highlights. My thanks as always to TJ Reeves for being a guiding force behind this podcast, Will Hatzel for his expert editing and mixing, and Nick Tochi for our excellent graphics. And to our wonderful sponsors, Dynamic Manufacturing and Vienna Beef for their generous support. Tune in next week for another episode of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. You know how to book flights and hotels. 
all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.